Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Church Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life. I'm Eric, Discipleship Pastor at New Life Lutheran Church. Today we're continuing the conversation with Tim, our youth director, and Pastor Ben, our lead pastor, as we talk about life together, some of the complications of life together, and the practices of living together well. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can find it on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play Music. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. Last time, guys, we ended our conversation talking about outreach and dealing with how we interact with non-Christians in our life. And we also talked a lot about the natural expressions of Christian community and natural expressions of community that we have. So I want to back up a little bit and I want to broaden the question to how do we have good community with both Christians and non-Christians? If our faith should play itself out in the places that we're already naturally living and, and doing life, what does it look like to have those good relationships with both Christians and non-Christians? So what are some of the primary practices of community? And I guess more specifically, like in our church life, what are some of the primary practices of of Christians living life together and also our life groups? Well, so for uh, our non-Christian friends, so for instance, our neighbors, uh, one of the things that we typically do is we have neighborhood watches because we want to stay safe. And in order to do that, in order to achieve that, we have to communicate with each other. And so if we don't communicate with our neighbors, if we're not communicating with one another, how are we going to achieve our goal, which is to keep our family safe, safe, keep our uh, you know neighbors and all that safe? Uh, so if we don't communicate, how are we going to do that? How do we communicate well with one another? What does that look like? Well, for me, uh, it's not necessarily, you know, every time I leave my driveway, I'll see my neighbor. And of course, my thinking is, well, since I'm a Christian, I should probably wave at my neighbor and I should probably establish some sort of relationship with him. But I think it uh, a good relationship actually goes uh, beyond that. Um, I have uh, taken steps to actually inviting them over into my house. Um, and so they love this show called Parks and Rec, and which, I mean, everyone loves that show. But uh, so we, they've actually come over a few times and we've actually watched binge watched Parks and Rec a few times and uh, that's not just that's not the only way that's just one way that I found uh, is effective with communicating and getting to know them um, but on the communication part I always feel like eating because everyone has to eat uh, no matter what religion you are no matter what you believe in no matter what your occupation is you have to eat and so that is a great tool to use in communication. I think when it comes into community, you got to kind of understand that a community is formed on something that you have in common. And so when I think about really my connection with anyone, it's based on some sort of commonality that we have. And when I don't know someone, I, I keep asking them questions until we find that, that commonality. And then we have something to talk about. So for like Tim, that was Parks and Recs or just the vicinity in which he lives. He lives in a community by somebody who he has interactions with. For me, um, you know, as being a pastor, I have a little bit different life than the average Joe on the street, you know, and the reality is, you know, your typical person who 
goes and does their nine to five and it's not within a church setting, they actually have a lot more outreach opportunity to interact with people because they have certain things in common. They play sports with these people or they go to work with these people or they go to school with these people. And that gives them opportunity to interact. And it's in those common spaces that we have the opportunity to join with them and talk about real life issues. So for me, I don't really have a lot of space outside of church, the church building and church life. But when I do, what I have in common with people is sports. And so I'll get involved in the local sand volleyball league or volleyball league or softball or whatever it might be. And so we have that in common, which allows us to be near each other. And then when the opportunity arises and they're talking about things of a spiritual nature or near a spiritual nature, when I think Jesus can speak into the conversation in a way that's not forced or awkward, then I, I do that. So, you know, people make statements that open up doors and I think it's just being awareness having the awareness of, of realizing what the Holy Spirit's doing, the Dorsey's opening, and then not being forceful. So, for example, I'm playing sand volleyball the other day, and we're, we're waiting for our turn because we did really well, and so we're, we've been sitting around for a couple games waiting for our next game to pop up, and someone was just talking about the Catholic Church. Well, obviously, when we're talking about church, we're talking about Jesus, and so I just use that as an opportunity to say, you know, what are the problems that you have with the Catholic Church? And then I use that as a segue into talking about what Christ said and maybe how that was in connection or disconnection from that that reality in which that person was living. And so because we had that commonality, we were within range of each other, we were near each other, and so we had an opportunity to have that conversation. So when it comes to community and outreach and all those things, it's where has God placed me? What is the passions that he's given me? And how do I use those commonalities to have those real-life conversations with people? And you'll find that throughout your life, your whole day, you are surrounded by people who have certain things in common with you. I think unfortunately what happens is we just don't take those opportunities to capitalize on those moments when the Holy Spirit is making them available to that that real conversation that really matters in this life. I know something that I've felt in the past and both before I was a pastor and as a pastor is the awkwardness that comes with the expectation that we're evangelizing, which we've been talking about evangelism We've been talking about it different ways, but we've really been, been talking about evangelizing. I know one of the misconceptions is that we're supposed to always be evangelizing. And the way that I talk about it is that some people think that the Christian life is putting on a suit and tie and riding your bike door to door and, you know, talking to people about Jesus. But that's just not how people have conversations most of the time. And I, you mentioned it, Ben, that sometimes it takes a long time before any sort of emotional conversation or spiritual conversation or church conversation even comes up. And I think that there's a pressure that in the meantime, I'm supposed to be pushing that conversation with non-believers. So do you think that there's space for, well, what I call small talk in the Christian life? Like, do you think that's something that is good and worthwhile is just learning how to be a good conversationalist and just having those, having any conversation well, even if it's about cars or if it's about, you know, whatever it might be, pro projects in the community that don't have anything explicitly to do with Jesus, but really are all about what God is doing in our world. You know, these things take time and it's a process. And what we see all throughout scripture is the people who are most impactful in people's lives were those who were closest to them. And so obviously you don't just meet somebody and you have a little bit in common and then that friendship is instantly there. Friendships take time. It has to gain a certain momentum. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, and God can do whatever he wants, and he can open them up. And there's these stories also in Scripture where it's instantaneous and things like that. But that's an abnormal you know, process. And so what's really kind of typical is 
you get to know somebody, it takes some time, that friendship builds, and then those opportunities open because they're not going to care what you have to say until they know that you really care. And when they know that, then they're open to that opportunity. For example, I just talked about, you know, that conversation I had at sand volleyball or waiting for sand volleyball. We're talking a two-year process there. And then once I engaged in it, I didn't keep pressing. I, I engaged with it until it felt it had kind of run its course. Or when I saw him kind of getting uncomfortable or disengaging, then I stopped. But what I did there was put my foot in the door. And next time when it presents itself, we'll continue the conversation. But what I wanted him to know was what was the truth? What did Jesus actually teach versus maybe how he interacted with the church and disillusionment that he had with the church and the issues that he had? But I wanted him to know what Christ really thought. And long-term, what I hope is that conversation continues. Obviously it didn't happen that night, but I hope it continues. And he says, Hey, you said that that was really powerful or, or who knows what might happen and transpire there, but, but it's not going to be instantaneous. In fact, if you do that, you might alienate that person and the commonality will no, no longer matter because you've just scared them away or shook them or whatever. Being comfortable with engaging, following the Holy Spirit's leading, but also being patient in that process, because most things are not like Pentecost where we just add on thousands of believers. These things take months and years of, of real life and real cultivation. And then the Holy Spirit does what he does. And we get to see the fruit that we're all hoping to see. So when I first heard that and when I first read that, I was thinking to myself, no, I I absolutely abhor small talk. Um, I don't want to, I, I want to have not necessarily meaningful conversations, but conversations just about something, conversations that I can necessarily take something away from it. Then yes, small talk is very necessary and it's key because that's how you get your foot in the door. Uh, I don't think you can just go up. I think sometimes as believers, we have this unrealistic expectation of evangelism and that we should just be saving people left and right uh, because that's what we see in Pentecost. And that's what we that's what we hear about. You know, we don't hear about churches bragging about, oh, well, we only had, you know, two or three people come to Christ this year. Uh, No, when we hear about on social media or whatever, we hear about thousands upon thousands of people and so we get this false notion of oh if they're doing that then we should be doing that as well and it's not always necessarily like uh, a lot of times it does take small talk it does take uh you know just in but at the same time we have to be intentional you know we see this all the time with christ you know we see small talk getting to real talk and in a couple weeks eric's going to preach the best sermon your life has ever heard about samaritan woman but you know, as we, as we wait until then, you know, kind of a sneak peek is that Jesus is at this well, he's living life. This lady comes out and we call her the Samaritan woman. Cause that was where she's from. And they engage in a conversation, small talk, if you will, about water, just, Hey, this is what we have in common. We're both grabbing water here out of this well. And then he uses that as a, a catalyst to continue a deeper conversation. But here, here's the reality is Jesus was fully in tune to her. He knew what she needed, and he used that conversation to go into something deeper. And uh, I had a pastor friend. I still have a pastor friend, and I served with him. and And one of his things was, and maybe this is this is what you're talking about, Tim, or maybe this is this is kind of more of your nature. But he used to take everything, every relationship, to like a ten instantly, and it used to just freak people out. You know, small talk is is a process to a deeper connection. So you ask someone how they're doing, you get to know them, you get to know their family. But what you don't do is meet someone immediately and say, how's your marriage? And uh, is it falling apart? 
and that was more of his nature because he was he wanted to help people so bad and he and there was maybe a little bit of impatience to it that it was like hey how can i ramp this up so fast and serve you and help you but the problem was you know some of the conversation we had to have with him is when you do that we know your heart and what you're trying to do but you freak people out and they don't want to talk to you anymore because they're afraid this dude's going to ask me something really uncomfortable and so i'm just going to avoid him and so I think small talk, we see it in Christ. I mean, even Christ who had a perfect awareness of where people were at, he used it as a catalyst. And uh, that's just part of our interactions with people is using that small talk, really caring for people, showing them what we care. And then we have the bigger conversations that really lead to transformation that we're all hoping for. I think that's a great segue too into uh, life groups and opening up. Um, I think that is a struggle with some life groups is, you know, I really don't want to open up to, to people I really don't know. Or even, I mean, just for me, opening up to people in general is hard because I have trust issues. Naturally, I don't trust um, people. Like, you know, if we were giving grades on people I trust, you know, I trust my parents about, I'd give them a, uh, maybe a B plus. Pastor Ben, he's right there. He's right at a B, you know, and and, and I say that because he's sitting right next to me. But and but like in order to achieve that, it just takes so much. And it and I think a lot of people want when they go into life groups, they just expect people to open up. Or when you start a life group, you especially just think, oh, man, it's going to be great. and Everyone's going to open up and then we're just going to have a fantastic time. But sometimes there is awkwardness and people aren't going to want to just tell you their life story immediately. Uh, as we've said before, it does take patience. One underappreciated thing when we gather together in small groups in the church is that I don't think we ever talk about, nobody ever is like, hey, you should have really, really great small talk. Like just talk about what's going on at work, talk about what's going on in your home, talk about what's going on in your family. And I think that we, well, the one question that we ask almost every time we get together is like, does anybody have any prayer requests? Like we want to know the crises that are going on in people's lives, but we don't like ever talk about just the mundane, normal things. Yeah. And for most of us, we don't live crisis to crisis. Uh, we just live normal everyday lives. And, uh, and so it's kind of weird when the only interaction that we have is when people are having a hard time um, or when they're in a crisis mode. Or that's the only time you hear about people in the church is when they end up on the prayer request list and they're in a crisis mode. And I don't think we ever are like, hey, you know, the normal place that you interact with God, the most common place that you interact with God is in your day-to-day life. Conversations with your friends, conversations with your neighbors, conversations with your spouse, conversations with your kids, your work. Those are the those are the places that God has given us to interact with him. And I don't know if we ever are just like, hey, you should just have really good conversations with your life group. Or don't be afraid of the awkwardness and the awkward silences when you're having a conversation because that's just a part of having a conversation is that sometimes it gets a little weird and you don't know what to say. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And there's going to be pauses. There's going to be quote unquote lulls and we can't be scared of that. You know, that's something that just naturally comes whenever you speak to people. Uh, even in large groups, if you're having a large conversations, there's going to be a time where no one is speaking. And uh, immediately people want to think and say, oh, well, I need to say something just to keep the conversation going. But that's the beauty of life. Uh, that's not always necessary. 
You know, sometimes what draws people to a life group is because in their life, they don't have people or spaces to really be transparent. And so they go in there looking for that. And, and that's good. And that's healthy. And that's something they really do need in their life. But I think what they don't realize, it, it, these things do take time. And so, you know, a life group that's been going together and hanging out together for a year, they have that. They will get there. But the first week, it won't happen. One thing that kind of sparks that or helps that move forward a little bit faster is to have the leader be more transparent and set the tone. And so I always told people when I was really working with life groups quite a bit, I said, hey, if you're the leader and you have a hard conversation, you have to be the first one to be honest. And that will open that conversation for people to be honest. But I think you're right as well, Tim, that it does require trust. And that's another catalyst is not just being awkwardly transparent, but understanding and feeling that the real vibe there that, hey, now we trust each other. Now we're open. And that takes that takes time. But let me give you an example. I was in this little little hub, this little life group. And it was all pastors. And so that's a good space for pastor. And if you can imagine, I mean, people listening here, you aren't all pastors, but we, we aren't actually perfect. And, uh, if you haven't figured that out, it won't take more than two more minutes to figure that out. But the reality is the, there's a certain pressure on pastors to have everything clean and tidy and perfect. And so it's really kind of nice for pastors to just get together and, talk about real life because we don't have the pressure of impressing anybody. And so I was in this group with all pastors and we're sitting there and we were talking about our marriages. And so we're being really transparent because we had built up that trust and we're talking, 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 talking. And it got to this one guy and literally every week we'd have that same conversation because that was really something we wanted to really help our marriages and improve our marriages. And we needed a space to talk and help. And he always was like, my marriage is perfect. Like every week, my marriage is perfect. My marriage is perfect. And it got like almost comical. But what that does by him not being transparent is it just shut the rest of us down. Because as soon as you're not transparent and honest and you say this is perfect and that's perfect, then it makes everyone else feel like they're the crummiest human beings in the world. And so our that group ultimately dissolved because of one person refusing to be open and honest about it because the likelihood was his marriage is not perfect because no one's marriage is perfect. So it just shut the conversation down and we just thought, Hey, we're not going there. Cause if this guy is really saying that he's not being open and honest with us, then we're not going to gift him our transparency because we don't trust him to handle that transparency. So over time that, that group just faded away, but that was really the, the crux of that disillusionment is over time we were close. We had made our way there and then one person refused to walk down that road with us as well. Yeah, and I'll give another example that's almost the opposite of that example. So recently I met with um, one of our life groups here at New Life, and they have been meeting for 30 years um, as a life group, They and they all like live right near each other. So these folks have known each other for a long time. They've been going to church with each other for a long time. They've been friends for a long time. They've shared prayer requests and talked about the highs and the lows. They've had this kind of real community that we're talking about, this transparency, this authenticity. And in that space, we had a meal together and I was just sitting in just to see their how their life group operated. In the midst of that group, there were you know six of them or eight of them, I can't remember. And they've been meeting together for so long. There were still moments of silence. There was still lulls in conversations. There was still some awkward pauses. And most of the time we weren't talking about 
hard things that were going on. Most of the time we were talking about just life. They were talking about folks in the church that they had been praying for and working with. They were talking about, you know, whatever's going on in their neighborhood. They were talking about this, talking about that. And it wasn't until the end that one family had something going on in their family. And so they talked about that and they opened up and they were able to be honest in that moment and talk about something that was going on. And to me, that just go that just shows you how the authentic relationship and that authentic community doesn't always have to be heavy. It doesn't always have to be hard. It doesn't always have to be crises. It can be normal everyday things. 